All right, well, we're in a current series called Growing Up, and uh, we think, I think it's important um, for my child, Cade, who's in this uh, video, for him to constantly be growing. He's constantly learning. He's constantly maturing. We had a big moment in our house this week. Uh, Cade lost his first tooth. It was an amazing uh, moment for us, and I had seen videos of this dad who had tied his kid's tooth to a Nerf gun. Have you seen this? And shoots the Nerf bullet out, and it pulls the tooth out, and so I showed Cade this video, and I'm like, can we please pull your tooth out like this? And he's like, no, never. We won't do that. And so I kept working on it, getting it really loose. And I kept begging and begging, and uh, he never said okay. And so hopefully the next one he'll be ready to do that. But, but it's natural, right? It's natural for, for Kay to begin to process through and to grow and to become a young uh, boy and to become a teenager and a young adult. And at any point along that, if he begins or he, he quits growing, that he quits maturing, then we're going to have problems. We're going to have issues. And so my goal for him is to continue to mature and to grow. And so I said this last week, as your pastor, for my own life, no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of faith, and I know in a group this size, there's people here who would say, you know what, I don't know if I even believe. I don't know if I believe. And someone has invited you here, you've found yourself here, and, and, and you, you may not sure what you, you believe. And for some of you, you're farther down the spectrum. You've been walking with God for a long time. I believe that every one of us in the room can take a step, can take a step in our growth with, with God. And so the hope is that you haven't become stagnant. That at some point you didn't say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then it just stops. Because the goal is that we're always growing, that God is always changing us. He's always molding us. And if you ever stop, that's when you need to become concerned. And so we're looking at this letter to the Philippians. And uh, if you missed last week, I did a, a message called Hello from the Other Side. Uh, we looked uh, just at two short verses. Um, this guy named Paul uh, writes, and, and I'll, I'll just quickly recap, but if you want to kind of hear how the first church in Philippi begins, you can go back to Acts 16 and you can read that for your, yourself. Uh, but we see these things happen. In Philippi. And Philippi uh, wasn't a large town, but it was in a really important place. It was on this road that goes from Rome to the Eastern world. And so there are always people who are passing through. And, and so Paul heads there. Paul is a follower of Jesus, and, and he wasn't at first. He hated Christians. God begins to radically save him and changes his life, and he begins to cr- help other Christians begin to follow Jesus. And then he plants churches and he writes them letters. And so we find this letter that he's written back to the Philippians. But it's important to know who he's writing to. It's important to know who he's writing to. And so we looked at that last week, and we, we said, okay, he's giving this hello, this beginning of this, uh, this, this letter, and who is he saying it to? And we said there was this woman named Lydia, and she was a wealthy woman. She would have been Turkish. She probably would have had everything she needed, everything she wanted, and very educated and well put together, completely in control. And at some point, something in her says, there's got to be more. So she begins seeking, and so Paul finds her and begins to fill in the framework for Lydia, and Lydia responds to the good news of Jesus, that God sends Jesus to rescue us, that he pays the price for us, and Lydia and her household begin to follow Jesus, and they're baptized. Shortly after that, Paul then encounters a young slave girl who is about as opposite as Lydia as she could be, completely out of control. She's enslaved. She probably hates the Roman world because of what it's done to her, and he delivers her from a demon possession And I made the assumption, because I know what happens when Jesus often rescues those who are demon-possessed, that she begins to follow Jesus as well. And so now we have Lydia and her household, and then we have this young slave girl forming this first 
church. But then it doesn't end. We, we find that Paul gets arrested because of what he's doing, because of what he's teaching, and because he's delivered this young girl. He ends up finding himself in prison. And while he's in prison, he's praying and singing. And this earthquake happens, and the, the jail is broken open, and the jailer has this thought that, that everyone is gone. And so in that time, if everyone's gone, then the punishment is your, your life. And so he, in that moment, says he's going to take his life. And Paul, Paul stops him. And his response, the jailer's response is, what do I need to do to be saved? So now we have this church that has this wealthy uh, Asian woman. We have a demon-possessed slave young girl. And now we have this middle-class, blue-collar jailer who loved and probably worshipped the Roman Empire. That is the first church that we find here in Philippi. That is who Paul starts with. And I, I said this last week, that would be a difficult group of people to start with. It'd be difficult. They, they probably wouldn't get along. They wouldn't see things eye to eye. And I said the only reason that can happen, the only reason that happens is because of the gospel, because of Jesus. And so I said, look, we want to be a place that is full of diversity in lots of different ways. Because we believe that's the picture of the church. That's, that, that's the picture of the church. And so the only way that in, in the midst of our differences, no matter what those differences are, political, uh, cultural, whatever they are, economics, that, that what will bring us together is Jesus. And that's it. That's it. And so this is what's happening in the early church. And so Paul is writing back to them. He's visited them several times. But 10 years later, Paul finds himself in prison again finds himself in prison again, and he thinks, I, I need to write the church in Philippi. And so we're going to go through this several weeks. We're going to go through what it is that Paul is telling them. And so today we are going to go um, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you, a red Bible. Uh, that is our gift to you. Please take that. Uh, I would encourage you to bring a Bible. It helps you if you want to write in it um, as, as we learn together. The page number will be up there as well for that red Bible. We're going to start right at, at one again. I'm going to read through it, and then I'll go back and teach. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the day, first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me again? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the truth um, that Paul is writing here. Um, to this church. God, would you now speak to us? Uh, I believe, God, what, what Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago is written to us as well. And so would you teach us um, today what it means to grow and to continue to mature in our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, verse 3. At the very beginning, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Again, think about who's Paul, who Paul is remembering. Who is it? And remember how difficult it probably was from the very beginning. Yet while Paul is in prison, he thinks, every time I think of you, every time you come to my mind, I'm thankful for you. And I started to think about my own life and my own faith journey and just who is it that I'm thankful for? Who is it that has played a key role in my life? And as I started to think about that, I started to think about, do I let those people know often? Do I let those people know what, what important role they've played for me? And so then I thought, well, well do, you? do you? Have you ever thanked the person who invited you for the first time? I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in, I didn't know anything about church. And then my parents go through a divorce and they're separated. And a, a couple whose son I played basketball with just invited me to church. And I start to think, without Kay Wilson picking me up on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, where would I be? Where would I be? So often I'll send her a message and I'll say, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for picking me up and, and using your family to introduce me to a God who loves me. Do you do that? Have you ever thanked that first? Maybe your parents. Maybe you were lucky enough. And some of you are like, man, I was drugged to church every week. And you maybe at the time didn't like it. Have you thanked them? Have you thanked them for that commitment? Because Paul right here says, look, every time I think about you, I'm thankful for who you are. And it's like it has become a habit. And we talked about this a few weeks ago in our series, Creature of Habit. Uh, what if this became a habit for us? That we're always just remembering. We're always thinking about those people who have had a huge impact on us. And as we're going to see, and, and as I read before, praying for them. Praying for them. What, what if you begin to pray for those people here who are a part of trinity and that you're interceding on their behalf that you're praying for them see i think paul is displaying something really really important here because this church wasn't perfect no church will ever be perfect because it's full of people okay and so so paul knows what this church is dealing with they know what they've been through over the last 10 years they know the difficulties and the problems and yet he's thankful for them and so i think paul is telling us something really important and that's this that thankfulness must supersede criticism and complaining. That thankfulness must supersede criticism and complaining. It, it seems like oftentimes, myself included, in the church world, will often go there first. We can be extremely critical of each other. We can be extremely critical of the church, not only this church, but the church in general. We can complain about what should have happened or isn't happening, but, but Paul from the very beginning just says, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for everything you've been a part of and everything that you're doing. This has to become a priority for you, and it has to become a priority for, for me and for us, that we are people who are thankful, that we're thankful. He says this, verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So he said before, Paul finds himself in prison, and his first response is to praise God and to sing. That's not always my first response when things are difficult. But, but this is Paul's, and so I'm trying to mature, I'm trying to grow and say, no matter what is going on, no matter what is going on in my, my life, I'm, I'm going to choose to be thankful, and I'm going to choose to have joy, because this is what I know, and this is what I've experienced, that is gratitude alters the atmosphere of our hearts, that gratitude alters the atmosphere of our hearts. So if we'll begin to, to think about what we're grateful for, and we'll be We'll be quick to jump to things that we're thankful for. It begins to push out those other things in our, our heart. We'll become less critical. We'll become less complaining. 
because gratitude is beginning to take over. And this is what I think we, we get confused with this when it comes to joy and happiness. See, see, Paul is in prison. He's not saying, I'm so happy to be locked up in chains. I'm so happy to be going through what I'm, I'm going through. No, no, no. He, he's found joy, which is much deeper than happiness. Because happiness is always situational. It's always about circumstance. And those things change all the time. All the time. And, and so Paul has learned something. We're going to get this to the end of the, the letter. Paul has learned something. He's learned how to find joy. And that's because of his relationship with God. Again, He's learned to find joy because of Jesus and Jesus alone, alone. And so here's an area where I think a lot of us need to grow. And that is the idea that God is first concerned with your happiness. That he's first concerned with your happiness because that's not true. It's not biblical. There's nowhere that says that God is, is, is really even concerned with your happiness at all. What he is concerned about is our, our holiness. And just what that means is becoming more like Jesus. That, that is God's desire for us. And that we understand when we begin to do that, then we'll experience joy, which is much better than happiness. Look, you know what it's like to be happy about something and then that be taken away in a moment. And happiness is fleeting. And, and so I often look at it, and I have two small kids, and I, I ask myself all the time, do, do I want my kids to make the right choice and the best choice, or do I want them to be happy? Do I want them to be happy? And, and part of me is like, well, obviously I want my kids to be happy, but ultimately I want them to make the best choice. I want them to make the best choice. And so as we see God as a good father, then we have to understand that his first priority for us, what he really wants for us is to make the best choice. To make the best choice. And that's where we begin to find joy, not just simply happiness. So if you're making decisions and you're thinking, well, God wants me to be happy, and so I'm going to make this decision because it will make me happy. It's not biblical. And so that's an area of growth that we need to concern ourselves with. And we need to understand the, ha- the difference between happiness and joy. And joy. And so why is Paul praying with joy? Verse 5. So verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. Partnership in the gospel. Paul's saying, look, you've been participating in what I have been trying to do from the very beginning. See, Paul didn't set this church up and walk away and say, do nothing. Do nothing. He said, no, 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 you're, you're now participating. Paul's leaving, but, but they're participating in spreading the gospel, in participating in people knowing the gospel. Who is participating? Who is participating in sharing of the gospel? Again, it's this wealthy woman who has everything together, who doesn't look like anyone else in the area because she's not from Philippi. It's this young slave girl. It's a young girl who has a demon possession in her past. I don't know what's in your past, but this girl has a demon possession in her past, and she's sharing in the partnership of the gospel. And then you have this jailer who would have been brutally beating people for a living. That's his past. And he gets rescued, and now he is participating in what God is doing in that environment. And so present day, I begin to think of some people, and there's a guy named Brian Welch. Uh, He was in the band Korn. I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Korn. They were an extremely hardcore band and lived this crazy life. And at some point, he gets rescued by God. His life is completely changed. And so he's now using his abilities in music to, to, to share in spreading the gospel. And to say it as, as easily as I can as we think about some of the people who work on the east side of St. Louis in an industry that's not good. 
there are women who have been rescued out of that and have a ministry that goes back into minister to the women who are still there. Uh, we have kids. We have kids here and we have kids all around that are doing amazing things. I don't know, maybe if you came in the front door, maybe you were greeted by a little girl, my little friend, Olivia. Uh, she's only six and she wears a badge and she helps greet kids at the front door. Kids are participating in sharing the gospel. Those who are born and raised in the church. You've always been here. You don't know anything different. You have an opportunity to partner and share in the gospel. And so this is what I believe to be true. And this is what I see Paul saying to those, those people in uh, Philippi. Is that everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. The gospel is for everyone. That you could never be so bad that the gospel is not for you. Like there's no limit. There's no, well, I've crossed over that line. That there's none of that. The gospel is for everyone and everyone is welcome. But then the next thing is everyone is needed. That everyone is needed. That, that we, we've got to understand this idea that you are invited to participate in what God is doing. You're invited to participate no matter what your past has looked like. No matter where you find yourself today, there is an invitation for you to participate in what God is doing. And so this often functions, this space often functions like a movie theater. It often functions that way. And we get there on time. We hope, that, we hope to make it on time. And we get there and we file in and we find our seat, usually the same seat. And we, we get there and we listen we listen to a group of people up here sing, and, and you may even feel like it's a performance. It's not a performance to them. It's just them worshiping, but you view it kind of as a performance. And then you hear someone, usually myself, come up and speak, and, and then you file out. It's a lot like a movie theater. You're not invested in it too much. You pay a little bit of money, and you hope it goes well, and you'll, you'll review it when it's over. I promise that's not happening in the early church. That's not happening. They're coming together, and they're saying, all right, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Who, who are you having an impact on? What are we fighting against together? Who, who is coming to know the good news of the gospel? They're all participating in making this happen. The same should be true for us. There's this invitation for you to participate in what God is doing. There's an invitation for you to participate in what God is doing and for us to share in, in the gospel of, of grace. And so let me just, let me speak to an older group first. An older group, maybe specifically those who have been at Trinity for a, for a really long time. You have laid an amazing groundwork here. You, you have put in so much time and effort and energy. We, we are where we are today because so many of you have committed to having a presence, to sharing in the gospel here. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't, don't reach a certain age and think, all right, well, I'm, I'm too old now. I'm too old. Some of our best youth volunteers are those who have been doing it forever. They've been doing it forever. They've seen it, they're seen as another mom, or they're seen as another dad, or they're seen as an uncle. Don't give up on us. Not that you are, but, but we need you. It's important that you participate in what God is doing. If you're new and you're trying to investigate what it means to follow Jesus, and at some point you've said, yes, I'm following Jesus, there's this invitation for you to participate. God has created you to be a part of what he's doing. It's not just for a select group of people. It is for all of us. And so there are things that are much needed that, that I can't do. That I can't do. I, I can't do everything. I'm not good at everything. And so we need to come together and, and, and believing that if we come together, there's an opportunity to have a major impact on our community. Because here's the other thing that happens. 
for a long time, many of us think, okay, I believe the gospel. I believe the good news that Jesus has rescued me and saved me. Great. I have my ticket. Right? I've punched my ticket. I know when something happens to me that I have a place in heaven. And then we can just sit back. And so for a long time, there was a separation between this idea of a personal gospel and a social gospel. And this is what I mean by that. The gospel should have an impact on us personally and corporately, communally. It uh, it should have an impact everywhere that we go. That when we see injustice, when we see inequality, that we shouldn't sit back and say, well, I'm I'm saved. That's all that's important. Like, we're, we're saved, and so we've been forgiven, and so we understand and know that we should bring that with us everywhere that we go. That when we see injustice, when we see inequality, when we see things that aren't fair, when we see kids who need to be uh, put into homes and foster care and adoption, we fight for those things. And we fight for those things because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. So I just know when Paul's writing this group, he's thinking, I'm so thankful that you've been participating in everything in your community that you're fighting against. We, we talked about it last week. This, they kind of had this uh, spiritual buffet mentality that they would pick and choose what they want and they would worship the, the current emperor and they had all these other gods. And, and, and I believe that the people who start this first church, first church there in Philippi loved people well first. And we're going to see that in a moment. They loved people well, each other, but they also loved people in the community. And they carried the good news of the gospel with them. That they weren't only concerned. It wasn't that... These three people in their households became the church, and they just kind of became a closed group. That church continues to grow, and we know that it was an important, vital church in that area. One of the first churches that goes and leads into Europe. It's extremely important, and the reason they did, I, I, I totally believe, the reason they did what they did is because they were all participating. That they knew it wasn't just left up to, to a few select group of people. And so one of our core values that we say is that we're not just spiritual contributors or spiritual consumers, but we're also spiritual contributors. That yes, there is an opportunity to consume what God has given you in grace and love and mercy. Yes, you're going to consume that. I hope you do. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Our, our goal is that we continue to grow and we continue to, to care about the things that God cares about. And so we have people who are doing that. And so we want that to happen here in these walls. We, we want that to happen here, but it's happening all over our community. And so we have a group of people who lead Bible studies at what is called Missouri Hills. It's, for, for boy, it's a boys and girls home. That several years ago, a group of people went in and said, we, we want to love these kids and we want to teach them about a God who loves them. And so every cabin, I believe, on that, that property and almost every night, there's a group of people over there pouring into a group of kids. A group of people who believe that they're supposed to participate in what God is doing. That they haven't stepped back and said, I'm saved. That's not good for those kids. That's sad for those kids, but hopefully they end up okay. They believe that they're participating in the gospel. We have a group of people who are tutoring and mentoring kids at local elementaries. We have people who are involved in homeless ministry. And then here we have people who are investing in our children and our youth. Take a moment. Just take a moment and think in your head. When it was where you feel like your journey with God kind of first began. Not that it was perfect, but, but when were you kind of introduced for the first time uh, to Jesus? Just think about that for a moment. Think of an age. Statistics say that 85% of people begin their journey between 4 and 14. 85% of people who follow Jesus do that 
between the ages of 4 and 14. 10% between 15 and 30. 95% of people decide to follow Jesus before the age of 30. So if that's true, and I, I know every study and, and data is always different, but, but if that's true, that, then we have to understand the importance of pouring into young people. That it's just not something that is kind of a byproduct of what we do. It is important, not only here, but it's important as we pour into and we read with kids at the local school. That's a part of the gospel. That's a part of participating in the gospel, loving and supporting single parents, fighting against injustice, you seeing your job as an opportunity to participate in the gospel, whatever that looks like. If that's a hard labor job, if that's nursing, if that's teaching, if that's in the business world or sales, everywhere you go, you are carrying the gospel and you are participating in the gospel. Everywhere. Everywhere. And so we have to begin to grow and say, okay, well, how am I being impacted by the gospel? And then how am I impacting those around me with the gospel as well? Verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful for this scripture. That I know that I'm not done. That in moments where I struggle, in moments where I'm anxious, in moments where I'm not kind to my wife, in moments where I yell at my kids and I, and I regroup and I reevaluate, I know God's not done with me. That God is the one that will finish what he started. That God is the one who will finish and make it to completion. And so God is still at work in me, and he is still at work in you. He is a finisher. He doesn't start a, product, uh, a project and walk away. I do. <laughs> I do. We've talked about this. Uh, just, I, I shared several, several weeks, months ago, about a light that I was installing in my kitchen. If you were here and you remember that, my wife took down the old light, which made me put up the new light because she knew I wouldn't get to it. And so I put up the new light, and it's really crooked, really, really bad. But it's up, right? And so I, uh, it's got light, but I haven't finished the prod project. And then a few weeks ago, I, I put up a shed. It has a roof, but it has no shingles. And so I'm just hoping that nothing happens in the meantime with, with water. I'm not a good finisher. I'm not a good finisher. I start a lot of things. I like to do new things and start things. God is a finisher. And so in those moments where you think for yourself, man, I've been struggling with this for a long time. I can't get past this. My, my marriage isn't where I, I want it to be. My relationship with my kids or with my parents, it's not where I want it to be. God's not done. God's not done. He's faithful. You can trust that he's faithful and he will finish what he started. And that's important for us to know. But here's what's also important for you to know. He's not finished with the people around you. He's not finished with the people around you. He's still working on them. He's still helping them mature and he's still changing them. And so the more we grow in Christ, the more we should sense the grace that we needed to follow Christ. The more you follow Christ, the more amazing this grace should be. And we should be dispensers of grace to the people around us. And so when you feel like being judgmental towards someone, when you're critical or complaining, just remind yourself, God's not done with them. God's not done with them. I'm going to continue to pray and support and walk with them. God is not done with them. And that's why I love baptism. So I love baptism. we got to get back to the old teaching of baptism, that you decide to follow Jesus, and when you decide to follow Jesus, that you're baptized. And it's this picture of what God has done, that he has saved you, that he's made you clean, that he's rescued you out of your old life, and he gives you this new life. But it's not to say that you're done. And so a lot of times what's happened is people say, well, I can't be baptized yet. I'm not ready. 
I'm not ready. Well, what do you mean you're not ready? You don't need to be ready. You, you need to follow, commit to following Jesus and saying, he saved me. You're ready. You're ready. You'll, you'll never be good enough. Remember, you can never earn this good news. You can never earn this grace. And so today as we celebrate with, with kids up to young adults to middle-aged, it's this idea that God has been working on these people. He's been working on these people, and he will continue to work on them, and he's not finished. So he's not finished with you. He's not finished with you, and he's not finished with the people around you. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. We won't spend long here, but I just want you to hear these words of, of how, how Paul feels about these people. How he feels that he, he longs for them with the affection of Christ. And the affection of Christ in the original language would mean from the bowels. Like as deep as you could possibly go. That's this affection that Paul has for these people. So he's just encouraged them. He's just pointing out how well they are doing. Yet he still says, look, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you because there's some areas where you can continue to grow. There's areas where you need improvement. Verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That your love may abound. So not just that you would love people, not that you would just verbally say, oh yeah, I love, I love people, but that it would abound, that it would constantly be growing like the river making its way out of the banks, that you're, you're always growing in love for one another. And this is not an intellectual love. This is not an intellectual love. This isn't just a, yeah, I love you. It is, let me live a life that shows you that I love you. And so he's saying, look, I want this love to grow in knowledge and depth of insight. So, so he's saying, don't, don't just say that you love someone, show that you love people. And so as followers of Jesus, if you're here today and you say you're a follower of Jesus, then we should understand that our love for people should be always and ever growing. And not that just we're going to say that we love people, but our actions are going to prove that we actually love people. Love people, love people. We say a lot. If you, if you know you've been loved by God, then our response is to love people. And so don't just say that you do. Don't just say that you love people. Actually do it. I, think about it. If you are married, and uh, I've been married for almost, uh, yeah, 13 years, 14 years, 14 years, 15 years, 14 years, 14 years. My wife's not here right now, so don't tell her I had trouble with that. Uh, <laughs> I have a sick kid, so we'll edit that out of the video. Um, but she, uh, she, when I stood with her, when I stood with her and I married her, and I made a promise to her that I would love her forever, over the years, I didn't say, you know what, I don't need to show you that I love you. Remember, I told you. I told you. I told you I loved you. I told you I was committed to you. No, no, no. I promise. My wife wants me to show that I love her. She wants me to show. And so Paul is saying, look, my prayer is that you'll abound in love for one another, both in knowledge and depth of insight or in wisdom. That, that rubbing shoulders with one another, of doing the dirty work, of, of, of disagreeing well, of being different. We can love one another because, because of knowledge and wisdom. And that comes from knowing God. That comes from knowing God. And so this isn't determined by commonality. This isn't determined, well, I love you because I'm like you. Right? I, I love you because, again, what Jesus has done for me. And so there's going to be lots of people who are around you who are different than you. That's why I love the church, honestly. 
I love the church because we are so different. We all come from different places, but we can come together united for one reason and for one thing. And so we, we have to grow in knowledge, this firsthand knowledge, not someone else's knowledge, what's, not what someone else has told you, but your own experienced knowledge of the love of God, that you'll grow in that kind of love. And then depth of insight, this discernment, that we'll have discernment when it comes to loving people well. So what Paul is doing in this moment is saying, don't look to Rome to tell you how to love people. Don't look to the government to tell you how you should love people. And so let me say this. We, if you follow Jesus, have to look to God how to love people. We don't look to the government. Right? So, so we are a follower of Jesus before you are a Republican. You are a follower of Jesus before you are a Democrat. You are a follower of Jesus before you are an American. We are followers of Jesus first. And so we have to grow in knowledge and wisdom so we're able to love people well. And so we're not looking for someone else to tell us how to love people. We're asking God, God, give us the knowledge and the wisdom how to love our community well. That we'll navigate the culture in our community and say, all right, this is how we will love people. This is how we will love people. Verse 10. This is the prayer. So that you may be able to discern what is best It may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory glory and praise of God. Let me end with this. For many of us, we often ask the question when we want to do something, what is right and what is wrong? What is good? What's evil? Okay, we'll choose what's, what's good. But as you continue to grow, as you continue to mature, the question no longer remains that. The question then goes to what is good and what is best? What is best? What is best for you to do? No longer is that a sin or not. What, what is best? What, what does God want for my family? What, what does God want for my, my job? How, how should I spend my money? We, we begin to ask these difficult questions and we say, all right, God, help me know what's best. No longer just what's right and what's wrong, but what is best and the way that we'll do this is by following Jesus. Paul, listen, we don't, we don't worship Paul. Uh, we, we follow Paul as Paul follows Jesus. That's what, what Paul says. And, and so we see that, that Paul lives this, this certain life and he teaches these people a certain way. And their love is abounding more and more. And they're all participating in what God's called them to do. They're all participating. So for you today... For you today, there's all kinds of things, and, and, and that's a lot there. And there, there, there is this theme that runs through there, that, that it is only because of Jesus that this happens. The only reason he prays with joy is because of Jesus. The only reason all these people together, all these different people participate in the gospel together is because of, of Jesus. The way love abounds more and more is because of Jesus. It is because of Jesus and Jesus alone that I am here and that really that you're here as well. And it's why here in a few moments we're going to celebrate with a group of people who have said, I I want this Jesus. I want to follow this Jesus. But for those people, I hope, and it has been already the beginning of saying, I'm partnering with what God is doing here in our our Trinity family and also in our community.